Hello and welcome to the Cinema Judge. To all my regular judge heads out there, welcome back. Now, if you're a first-time listener, let me briefly tell you what this show is all about. We love movies. We'd like to share movies with you. The studios, they send us interviews, clips, on-the-set footage, world premiere stuff. We put it together to make one cohesive commercial, infomercial-type thing. And we give you the evidence, and you being the jury, you make up your own mind if you want to see this movie or not. I'm not going to sit here and yell and cry about Hollywood. Leave that to to the professionals. This is like a movie oasis. A place where we could all come and learn about one movie. And just kind of just hide away from the world. Get away from all the noise. Because we all have noise in our world. And I figured, why not just have a place where we could just hide away for a little bit. And just learn about a movie And we go, do we want to see it or not? Because we all walk different paths. Who am I to tell you what's good or what's not good? I'm going to leave that up to you and the evidence that's given to you. Because any movie is somebody's favorite movie. Now, approaching the bench today, we have a very intense emotional movie called Women Talking. In short, this is what the movie's about. I'm going to read you a couple little tags or little brief descriptions. Do nothing. Stay in fight, or leave. In 2010, the women of an isolated religious community grapple with reconciling a brutal reality within their faith. Women Talking is an interpretation of a novel that is loosely based on the horrifying true story about women in the Mennonite colony who were raped persistently by the men of their community while they slept. Attacks, they were beaten, And they were initially blamed, get this, the men who did this convinced them and made them believe it was Satan or hallucinations. I would like to call these people animals or pigs, but that gives animals and pigs a bad name. Animals are wonderful creatures. What these things, vile, worm-infested bile, covered with feces, it's just, it blows my mind that these kind of things walk the earth And what really gets me, what really gets underneath my skin, they do it under the guise of their deity, their God, or whatever fake thing that they believe in. Because true people of that religion, or any religion, don't commit these acts. But the fake ones, and I want to emphasize this, people, I'm not criticizing faith or spirituality or any religion. I'm criticizing the people who use that said faith and religion as a way to abuse people, hurt people, hate people. That's not obeying your deity. Do you truly believe your deity is applauding your behavior? Do you truly think that this thing, I don't care if you worship an orange, an apple, or a log, I don't care what it is. Do you truly think they're they're applauding your behavior? Of course not, because you truly aren't a believer. And that's what this movie is all about. These women standing up, getting together, and talking about their options. And it's such a wonderful depiction. It's beautifully shot. And they all have their, their angles that they're coming from. And it's it's something that's really you should sink your teeth into. And it's directed... I mean, the cast. First of all, the cast is incredible. From Rooney Mara, Claire Voy, Jesse Buckley, and the phenomenal Francis McDermott. And that's just some of them. And it's, and it's directed by Sarah Pauly from the book by Miriam Toes. And first of all, we're going to play the trailer for you. 
And then immediately after that, we're going to play a little featurette. Now, in that featurette, we're going to hear from the director, the writer, and other players. And while it's happening, they're going to be like playing stuff in the background, on a set footage, in scenes. And at the end of the show, I'll give you a site so you can watch this if you choose to. Because watching the featurette and movie, you know, all the interviews sometimes really puts things in perspective. But in the meantime, that's what's going to happen. First a trailer, then a featurette, delving a little bit more into this film and the production of it. Why does love, the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love, result in so much violence? It was all waiting to happen before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back, it had been everywhere. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We would be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and terrified. Hope for the unknown is good. It is better than hatred of the familiar. We could not endure any more violence. We have been preyed upon like animals. Maybe we should respond like animals. How would you feel if in your entire life it never mattered what you thought? We've liberated ourselves. We will have to ask ourselves who we are. Why does love, the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love, result in so much violence? Miriam Teeb's book had this very profound impact on me. We must decide now to stay and fight or leave. We will not do nothing. It had such hard truths around reckoning and rage and faith and forgiveness. We will be forced to leave the colony if we don't forgive the men. I cannot forgive them. I will never forgive them. Women Talking is about a group of women who have dealt with assault by the males of their community, debating on what their future could be. I want to stay and fight. But won't we lose the fight to the men and be forced to forgive them anyway? Our first choice to write and direct was Sarah Polly, and there was no end to her commitment and courage. It was really important for me to imagine those landscapes and the canvas on which the story was going to be told. Sarah wanted to tell this story in a way that honored these women and their faith. Does entering the kingdom of heaven mean nothing to any of you? Surely there must be something worth living for in this life, not only the next. Miriam declares it an act of wild female imagination, which is what we wanted to do cinematically. Oh, it was just so moving seeing these characters come to life. The dynamic between the actors was just powerful. We know that we are bruised and infected 
and pregnant and terrified. Miriam and Sarah built a story that is thought-provoking and unifying. It's gorgeous. It's haunting. There's a real sense of solidarity, of hope. Hope for the unknown is good. Just better than hatred of the familiar. We are living in a time where there's a lot we have to change. This film offers a window into what it looks like when people have to imagine another way forward. When we've liberated ourselves, we will have to ask ourselves who we are. Really beautiful. We got it. Thank you. And like they talk about here and later on, one of the most shocking things is a lot of times you watch this kind of movie because it takes place in such isolated world, you don't realize that this took place in modern time. And what just really just gets me just more and more irritated the more I you learn about this, that these pond scum bums, they use anesthetic that you usually use on cattle to use on these women and children and then rape them. I mean, you, oh, it just, it gets to me. I just, I mean, I'm not just me. I'm sure everybody, you just read about these vile pukes. So I digress, people. Up next, we're going to hear from the author, Miriam Toes, and just talks about the whole process of writing this book and when she first found out about it, how she just had to write about it. And then we're going to go to Frances McDermott, she plays Scarface Jans, and then she talks about the author, and just after when she read it during the Me Too, you know, beginning of that, and then right after that, we're gonna go back to the author, talking about who she knew and how she got together with Francis to start making this happen. I'm just gonna let this ride. When I first heard about the ghost rapes, um, as they were being referred to in Bolivia, uh, in the Manitoba colony in Bolivia. I um I was horrified like everybody else and I knew that uh that I wanted to write something about that. I read women talking right about the time that the Me Too movement was starting to codify itself. Uh it's not it wasn't surprising news, but it was a movement that was kind of building in a more organized way, in a more politically active way and a more Perhaps a movement that had some kind of uh, practical end and of some kind of uh, justice being served. Uh, so I thought I was getting very confused about the conversation and how I felt about what was happening, talking with my friends about it. And when I read Miriam's novel, which opened up the debate of what happens after what is the future of gender politics in our world that that made me think oh this is something that i want to see it's a, a nuanced and a and a humorous and a intellectual debate about the possibilities for the future and not just the chasm of doubt 
Faber is my uh, UK publisher and a fellow there named Walter Donahue, um, who works there. He is uh, friends with uh, Frances McDormand, and he had given her a copy of Women Talking, the book, and um, and that's when she, you know, started getting interested in in uh, optioning it in you know and making a movie. Now coming up next, we're going to hear from the amazing Frances McDormand again. And in case you haven't remembered or can't remember or you're new to this whole thing called movies, let me just give you a brief snapshot of what she's done in the past. The Tragedy of Macbeth in 2021, The French Dispatch in 2020, and in 2020 also, she also did the movie Nomadland. If you have not seen that movie, it truly is amazing. Check out Nomadland. But she's also done Good Omens, that TV show. She plays the narrator slash god. Another amazing film, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. If you haven't seen that, check that one out. Hail Caesar, and on and on. I could just talk about her. She she could have her own episodes, many of them. But up next, we're going to hear from her. She's going to be talking about the author. And then immediately after that, we're going to hear from Claire Voy. And she is so amazing in this film, Claire Voy, I'm talking about right now. And you might know her from The Crown. Amazing performance she did in there. She did three episodes of A Very British Scandal, My Son in 2021, and in 2018, The Girl in the Spider's Web, 2018, First Man, and on and on. Claire Voy, I just, I love watching her films. No matter what she does, she brings whatever, just amazement to every role. She can be vulnerable. She can be strong. She nails it. I mean, this young, talented actress is just going to keep soaring and soaring. So we're going to hear from her. And she's going to talk about A, the movie, and then her character, and then her character's dealing with other people within the group. Because that's what really sets this movie apart. They all have separate opinions, but they're all coming together to share those opinions and explain why they want to do what they want to do. And she talks about her relationship with one of the women and how that really moves the story along and how that conflicts with each other. So first, Francis, then Clairvoy. I think what Miriam did was take an event that happened in an actual community of women and then went after and built the fictional narrative of what happens when a group of women who have uh, dealt with assault by the males of their community gather to vote on three possibilities, staying and forgiving the assault staying and fighting the perpetrators or leaving the community. And so basically the film is 24 hours in the life of these women and the debate that they have on those terms. So Women Talking is a story of a devoutly religious community um, and uh, the women of the community have uh, discovered... Um, that they have been being raped um, continually for a period of years um, by the men of the colony. And this is a conversation that the women are having as representatives of the rest of the colony about how to move forward from this moment, whether they stay and fight, whether they stay and do nothing, or whether they choose to leave and, and start a new colony. She has such a huge amount of anger and it is very righteous. It's coming from a place where she is justifiably angry. Um, but also that her anger is a protection against something else, which is 
accepting what has happened to herself, her family, her child, um, and the women in general, and the position they've been put in. And therefore, that would bring sadness. So I think she uses her anger as a way of defending herself. She ca- cannot sit in dealing with what's happened, um, which is the journey of her character, because she does express those emotions, and she does, in a w- her own way, come to terms with you know, in a very small way, what's happened, which is a very big thing. Scarface Jones is very traditional, very much stays with the status quo, doesn't want to rock the boat. And I think that Salome feels in that environment, in that situation with that sort of person that some sort of trust has been broken here and faith has been broken and she's struggling with her faith and what it's meant to her her whole life. How can God allow things like this to happen? What does that mean? She's really wrestling with that. And some women's acceptance of what has occurred, I think she finds very difficult to deal with. And I think Scarface Jan accepts her place in that community. And that's something that a lot of the other women really struggle with at that period in time. I don't know about you guys. I would give anything to interview, sit down and talk to both these women, Claire and Francis, the stories they tell and just their acting chops, getting behind their, their, their methods and just getting in their heads and just say, man, talk to me about this stuff. And I don't know, but I think these two are in one film is just a blessing. Thanks that they get together with such a powerful story and such talent. It's it's great. But up next, we're going to play a scene. And both of them are in the scene. It's all, the whole women, they're sitting in this barn. And they're talking about, what are we going to do? Do we choose to you know, expose all the stuff or what have you? And it's just great that he, Francis, and her character being very, well, we don't want to, um, you know, upset the big guy, you know, and all that stuff, or we won't be allowed into the gates of heaven. And then, you know, somebody else speaks up, well, how can we live with that? And then Clairvoy, you know, leaps in, like, come on. Like, this guy, he's, he's he can't find us. He's been allegedly around for how many thousands of years? And he's in a, you know, drop back in here and, oh, where are these people? And it's just a great discussion. It just, you know, but everybody shares their opinion. And that's what's so amazing. So that's what's going to happen up next, that clip. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We have always forgiven those who have wronged us. Why not now? Because now we know better. We will be excommunicated, forced to leave the colony in disgrace if we do not forgive these men. And if we are excommunicated, we forfeit our place in heaven. How could any of you live with the fear of that? These are legitimate fears. How can we address them? The only important thing to establish is if we forgive the men so that we will be allowed to enter the gates of heaven. You can laugh all you like, Salome, but we will be forced to leave the colony if we don't forgive the men. How will the Lord, when he arrives, find the women if we aren't in the colony? Jesus is able to return to life, live for thousands of years and then drop down to earth from heaven to scoop up his supporters surely he'd also be able to locate a few women let's who left stay their colony. on track all right i'll stay on track i cannot forgive them i will never forgive them now in that scene from women talking you get a good picture of different point of views in how they deal with their their faith but their personal freedom and safety and they're gonna in, in speaking about that we're gonna hear from the author and she addresses that about how she wanted to talk about that, about people's, yeah, you're terrified for your life, but then you're terrified about your afterlife, that what's been drilled into you forever and ever and ever, that control aspect, that toxic environment that controls you and makes you stay. 
And it, and so she talks about that. And then we're going to talk to the director, Sarah Pauly. But let me tell you a little bit more about Sarah Pauly. Not only is she a director and a writer, she's also an actress. You might know her from Dawn of the Dead in 2004, My Life Without Me in 2003, The Sweet Hereafter, 1997, and Go in 1999, just to name a few. But that's what really sets this movie apart. She's been there. She's an actress. She knows how it is to do what they're doing. And I imagine the connection that she feels with the cast is added to that because they know she's been there and she's done that. And she talks to us about how she felt when she first read the book and just how much it impacted her. And then we're going to go back to the author and she talks about how just how lovely working with that director is, Sarah Polly, how gifted she is and glad that she was the one doing it. And then we're going to go back to the director again and she's going to talk about the vision she had while, while reading this, how here they are. Yes, they're in a, a barn, but around them, there's so much visual, so much she could do with it. And let me just tell you this, her directing is just amazing. The visuals, the, the soundtrack, how it even goes with it. It just all flows together because you would think, how can they be, make an entertaining movie if they're just in a barn? Well, there's so much more to it than that. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on. But it's just, I just love hearing about that. You know, the idea of agency, of of what it would mean in terms of, you know, the women being able to keep their faith but, and also um, contemplate leaving the colony. Because, of course, you know, um, this is something that Mennonite women, particularly conservative Mennonite women in these colonies, you just don't do. You don't leave um, your husband. You don't leave the colony, um, you know, and it would be considered sinful. And uh, And the result would be that, you know, these women would be told that they wouldn't be able to enter the gates of heaven, uh, for, for instance. And so, you know, the women are getting together to talk about this and, you know, and, and how they can do these things that they need to do, protect their children, protect themselves, get away from these, uh, the, you know, this act, these acts of violence, uh, and keep their faith at the same time. I read Miriam Tabe's book, um, a few years ago when it first came out and it had this very profound impact on me. Um, the book kind of seared through me and it, raised so many questions, both personally and in terms of the world that I live in. I think a lot of its power is the way it works on your subconscious. I mean, it's very, very wordy, and a lot of things are said, and a lot of ideas are expressed, and it's very philosophical. But it hit me on an emotional level. It made me feel like I was in the middle of 100 revelations at the same time. She's such an honest, fearless um, writer, filmmaker and um so she had and she you know she she could really um uh she was sensitive to the to the trauma uh that the women in in the book and you know in the movie experienced um she wanted to um mm, represent these women and and tell the story you know in in a way uh that was um authentic uh in a way that uh honored these women and 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 their faith it was a joy to adapt this book it was a huge challenge because um they are speaking in a hayloft for hours and hours and hours and i think what was really important to me was that the film have a, a scope a sense of an epic a sense of a fable a sense of um 
that this conversation was crucial and essential to the progress of their world, that there was nothing more important happening um, than this conversation amongst women about how they were going to break down the world they lived in and create a new one. Um, so I, I kind of was thinking visually from the very beginning with the adaptation, like in the script stage, um, it was really important for me to imagine those landscapes and the canvas on which it was, uh, on which the story was going to be told. It came at a time when uh, reading something that had such hard truths in it, such difficult philosophical questions around reckoning and rage and um, culpability and faith and forgiveness, but left me with this kind of bewildering hope by the end of it, like this sense that it's possible to reimagine things. It's possible for us not to be locked in these like insidious gender roles. Like it's possible to talk about not just what we want to destroy and be done with, but talk about what we want to build and how we'd like to remake the world. Like let's look at what we want to see because we already kind of know what we don't want to see anymore. Um, that filled me with a, a sense of possibility. And it was really hard, especially when this book came out around conversations around gender to have any hope. Um, and I think it was just like so important for me to see what it could look like if a group of women who had essentially different viewpoints on many really important things could come together into a room and have a conversation that completely changed and remade their world. Now that is what makes a great director. Just listening to her passion, everything she has to say about that, you're just like, yes, so dialed in and focused and just what a great human being. I just, I tip my cap to her and man, I just, what a great job. And speaking of doing a great job, we're going to hear from Claire Voy, And she talks about just how great it was working with Sarah Polly and what she brings to it. Then immediately after that, we're going to hear from the cinematographer, Luke Montpeller. And th th this is what I really like. Interviews from somebody like that, a cinematographer, because a lot of times in these kind of shows or they give you interviews, stuff like that, you don't hear from the crew all the time. You don't hear from all these people who make a movie happen. But hearing this guy praising Sarah Polly and everything she brings to it and just how she just makes everybody feel at home, feels like you know, a family, everybody has a say. That's what's really great when somebody from that, you know, like kind of behind the scenes, for lack of a better word, can talk about a director and say, I've never been on a set like this before. So that's what's coming up. Clairvoy and then the cinematographer. She would never give herself credit for this, I don't think, that she is the most amazing leader. She leads with kindness and compassion and understanding and collaboration. She listened to absolutely every single person on that set. And if anyone's idea she thought was interesting, she would be like, that's a great idea, let's use that. She was not precious in any way. Um, and I can't tell you how rare that is for a director. It's definitely Sarah Pauly's sandbox, but she lets us all play uh, and, and laugh and, and just be a family. And, and she, was, she once told me she cares more about the experience of making a film than the actual final product. 
So to me, that's another great way of kind of describing how she sees this. It's she's grown up on sets. She was a child actor. She she she's grown up with crew. So you definitely feel that she cares tremendously about her crew, and it's very infectious in a great kind of way. So I've never been on another film set like that, where there's this personal connection and personality of who we bring into the fold is equally as important as 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 skill. Sometimes I feel cinematographers don't get the appreciation that they deserve. They are so hands-on. They're always conjuring up shots and mood with shadows and color or that lack thereof. And just, I think we need somewhere, somehow, a show or something to highlight the or in spotlight what cinematographers really do in a film because they do so much. They help. They're like the right-hand person of a director and they just do so much. Now, speaking of that, we have a clip up next. Obviously, you can't see it, but you can hear it. And in this scene, there are more conversations with these women. And then you subtle things are happening within this conversation that, like, they have little flashbacks right in the middle of it where somebody goes, well, how do we know this person's guilty or not? And then the little girl speaks up, but I saw it. And then you hear, you know, a bell and a brief flashback and things like that. And they're just all trying to talk about this of what are we going to do and it's just it's just fun to see how they craft this film and trying to shoot that both as a director and cinematographer. You got to keep it fresh because a lot of these conversations are like in one area, so you really got to be focused on what works and how to keep people's attention. So in this clip, they're all sitting in the barn and are just having this important discussion. What if the men who are in prison are not guilty? Mother. Oh, oh, Chad. Why are you asking if Dude, shush. We caught one of them. Ah! I saw him. But only one. Yes, only one, but he named the others. But what if he was lying? We must consider this. No. No, that is not our responsibility because we aren't in charge of whether or not they are punished. We know that we've been attacked by men, not by ghosts or Satan, as we were led to believe for so long. We know that we've not imagined these attacks, that we were made unconscious with cow tranquilizer. We know that we are bruised and infected and pregnant and terrified and insane and some of us are dead. We know that we must protect our children regardless of who is guilty. That was Clairvoy at the end. She brings it. She brings everything she does. And in that vein, we're going to hear from the director, Sarah Pauly, praising Claire. Because in this environment, you have to do a lot of coverage, meaning you have to do a lot of shots, reshots, people's reaction, all those complicated things. And in some of these scenes, Claire Voy had to do these shots. Like, I don't she, she says in this maybe a hundred times, but she still maintains that solid performance, never diverting from the role. I'm like, I don't know if I heard that right, but oh man, that's a lot of times to do a scene. And then we're going to hear from Rooney Mara, who plays Ona. And she's going to talk about the director and just praising her, everything she brings to this project. And then we go to the director and she talks about Rooney Mara and just the, the calm that she brings. And she's like the glue that keeps everything together. And then we go once again back to Rooney Mara and she talks about her character. Claire is just this ball of like energy and passion and 
crazy commitment. She's so precise. I saw Claire, one of her most difficult emotional monologues, because we had to go around the room so many times and shoot it in not just a sort of covering way. Sometimes we would have, you know, scenes with 12 people in a room. I saw her do one of her most emotional monologues 120 times over, I think, two and a half days. And there was never a wavering of the kind of uh, the meticulousness, the precision. Like, she's just a machine. She's like an acting machine. Like, I've never seen that level of skill and stamina and precision. It's just mind-blowing. So we were all just, you know, we were all just sort of in awe of Claire. Sarah is just, you know, brilliant. She's an incredibly complex, um, layered, brilliant, self-aware human. She's an incredible writer. She's, um, I think she was so thoughtful in so many of the different important um, themes of this story. I think it's things that she'd been thinking about for years and years. And um she took so much time and care in cultivating the right group of people, not just the cast, but the crew as well, to create this environment where um, where we could make it in, in a special way. Rooney brought an energy to the set that was so much like the energy that Ona brings into the room of women. She was an enormous um, source of compassion, empathy, an incredible container for the raw and difficult emotions that had to come up in that room. Um, I think everybody felt supported by Rooney. I think everybody felt like Rooney was on their side. Um, She's so unbelievably present as an actor. She's so alive and awake and willing to make herself vulnerable. Um, She has no ego. Like, she is just this alive kind of vessel of love. Like, I, I can't say enough about what she brought to the room and what she brought to everybody in terms of just making space and holding space for all of the different points of view and energies. And she really was the glue that kept the production together. And she was very, very quiet. Um, but her her kindness and her compassion was loud. She's an amazing human being. Um, Ona is sort of uh, a little bit of an outsider in, in the community. She sort of does things in her own way while still having a very strong faith. Um, she's she's a dreamer. Um, she's an empath, very sensitive, and I think she she's had a little bit more education than the other women, and is just sort of has has a really um, really big consciousness all around. I could listen to them talk all day. Such educated, well spoken individuals, just talking about the craft and everything involved. Like I said, it's, a, it's like a warm blanket. Listen to these kind of people sharing their knowledge, all that stuff. Ah, it's wonderful. Now, up next, we're going to play a clip. Now, in this clip, there's more discussion going on. And you can really feel the chess match going on and the emotions. And they, they put this together so well. And so, you know what? Listen, let this play out. Here they are talking a little bit more about what they're going to do within the barn. I want to stay and fight. But won't we lose the fight to the men and be forced to forgive them anyway? I want to stay and fight too. No one's surprised that you do. All you do is fight. Is this really how we are to decide the fates of all the women in this colony? Just another vote 
where we put an X next to our position. I thought we were here to do more than that. You mean talk more about forgiving the men and doing nothing? Everything else is insane. But none of you will listen to reason. Well, why are you here with us? Why are you still here with us if that is what you believe? Just leave with the rest of the do-nothing women. She is my daughter, and I want her here with us. Is forgiveness that's forced upon us true forgiveness? Keep nonsense like that to yourself, please. What a cast. Every solitary buddy in this film knocks it out of the park. And we're going to hear people talk about that. First from Claire Voy, then Francis McDermott, and then the cinematographer Luke Montpeller. And it's just, I just love hearing this stuff. Here it is. I think this movie was very sensitively cast. There were no massive egos in that room. Everybody was there because they wanted to make the film. They wanted to work with Sarah. They wanted to tell the story. Um, we all fed off each other and learned so much from each other and respected and gave each other space um, to do what we needed to do. Every day I was like like blown away by what I was seeing. I couldn't believe it. So many days I thought I was coming in and doing a scene and I knew exactly what was going to happen and I would be howling at the end of it, crying. I've never had that experience with anything I've done, ever. Um, and it was tough. Like it was really, There were some really tough, long, hard, brutal, technically difficult days but we just got through it together. Um, and I, I don't think I'll ever have an experience like it again. It just kind of grew into a really organic uh, process of finding people who responded to the script, responded to the book, responded to her vision of the film, and then stuck with it during the pandemic, held on held on through a, a, a really long process and, and stay committed to it. But I also think, you know, these are consummate performers and they're also theatrically trained performers. Almost all of the people in that loft have done theater. So they come from that kind of ethos. They come from that kind of um, technical background that you create an ensemble and you depend on the ensemble because that's where your strength lies. What is a victory for me is that I felt, based on the performances you see in the film, it's kind of the biggest gift that I could have as a cinematographer because to me it showed that what we were doing hopefully didn't get in their way so much. And they were, it, it was, they were able to, to feel comfortable enough to be able to go to places emotionally that uh, that they felt comfortable enough with myself and the crew. To me, that's a success. Now, this movie, as you can tell already, it's heavy. A lot of emotions going on. But there is moments of levity. And within this scene, you're going to hear that. Because they're talking about, well, maybe we just let the guys leave. And they're like, what? I mean, we've never asked them to do anything. Not, not to do this, not to do that. She lists off all these things. But it'd be ironic or fun that here the only thing we ever ask of the men are to leave. And, it, it, and they have a little chuckle. But when you really break this down, when I kind of step back and I look at just our, even our society, that I've seen so much. I mean, from every generation, this isn't just a one-time thing. It goes generation to generation. How much weight women carry and have to endure every day. You watch around in life, you know, like they're carrying all this stuff and the husband is just maybe carrying his golf clubs or, you know, the guy, oh, I have to go in my playroom. I got to go play games. I have to do my, you know, man boy stuff. And the mother has to take care of all the kids and et cetera, et cetera. So it's not much difference between their world and our world when women have to carry almost all the weight because 
they're not just raising their children, but a lot of times raising their husbands too, because they too have to act like children. And I'm not saying that to the T or to the letter that everybody's that much of a bum, but it's just that little bit of a mirror that you could kind of like reflects back on us and our little society that women do so much and it's really not appreciated. But here's a scene where they kind of discuss that whole idea of asking the guys to leave. But we caught them. We caught them. Yes, you did. Then why are you making it so complicated? This is very, very boring. We could ask the men to leave. Ask the men to leave? None of us have ever asked the men for anything. Not a single thing. Not even for the salt to be passed. Not even for a penny or a moment alone. Or to take the washing in. Or to open a curtain. Or to go easy on the small yearlings. Or to put your hand on the small of my back while I try again for the 12th or 13th time to push a baby out of my body. Isn't it interesting that the one and only request we women would have of the men would be for them to leave? (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, it's not a complete grim fest. There are moments of levity in this film. And up next, we're going to hear about that how Frances McDermott talks about how the movie made her feel. And then we hear from the producer, Dee Dee Gardner. And she talks about, this is something I really kind of enjoy, talks about the whole process of editing the film. Like during this cut, this is what happened and how it evolved. You call up this person, you talk to this person. Well, let's do this, let's do that. And that's what where the nuts and bolts of any movie is found when they edit it. Because a lot of times, I'm not saying all the time, but a lot of times the original edit could be massively long. And then they send it to the studio and talk to people and go, no, okay, we could do without that. We could do without that. And just hearing somebody talk about that, I just love hearing because that process is so complicated and it's just so much is going on and so many hands are in the pot. And that is where sometimes movies are won or lost, meaning good or bad, because the more hands you have in an editing process, the more things could go sideways real fast. And I just love hearing her talk about that process and then also the tone of the film. I found the film really moving, and I found I, – but, but not in the way that a lot of people are going to find it moving because I obviously knew the story and I knew where it was going. It was, it was more the understanding that we had accomplished what we set out to do, which was to tell a story that – could be accessed by a lot of different people. And we, Dee Dee and I, made it possible for Sarah to make the film that she had always envisioned. And that, for me, is a really good thing. We worked on the cut a long time, and it changed. And I remember that being an incredible collaboration, a lot of Zoom, a lot of talking, a lot of phone calls, a lot of trading scenes. And then I remember um, 
there being a cut after a lot of work. And I was at the MGM screening room in LA. Um, and we weren't done. And I knew we weren't done, but I could tell, I could see the movie. And I remember getting out of my seat and like crawling over to Pam Abdi and saying, oh my God, we're, we have it. I think the tone is serious, but not severe. And I think it's uh, hopeful, but not fantastic. I just think it's, I think the tone sits inside the guardrails of genuine human emotion inside of change, um, which is a hard, hard balancing act. But I think Sarah achieved it brilliantly. It's sort of an exercise in watching the human experiment at work, um, where you can see people affect how other people think. You see people change their minds. You see people stay resolute. You see um, kind of a merging of hope. Uh, and I think most essentially the movie asks the audience, what would you do? The notion of agency and the notion of community, uh, those notions feel fleeting to me right now. And uh, things feel so polarized um, that I, I, I'm excited that the movie attempts to show well, what would happen if we all sat down and talked about it and debated and listened listened to each other, um, admitted maybe we were wrong about something, like what would happen? What, how, how much space would that create in our own heart minds to imagine forward? I just love what she says there. Just that, that last part of that interview talks about we all end up yelling and screaming, people we know in our lives, politicians, this, that, or the other. But very rarely is it we're just a group of people who have different, you know, differing opinions can sit and talk and not yell over each other. I mean, I don't know if that's even possible anymore in this day and age, but I just love hearing her talk about that. It's like, that is, that art is lost. And up next, we're going to hear from Francis McDermott talking about the generational gap between all these women involved between the producer, Dee Dee, herself and then the director, Sarah, that they're all like in the, you know, 10 years apart, but yet they could all come together and make this piece. It's just really kind of cool here, hearing her talk about that. And then we're going to hear from Claire Voy, just talking about the conversations that could be had after seeing this film, because it's so much could be talked about and just observed and seeing it in the movie together, this how that will make everybody feel and just part of a community, if you will. Anyway, these are some really cool interviews. Check it out. That's something I really, really love about, you know, uh, myself, Dee Dee, and Sarah. We really represent, you know, we represent these three kind of decades of women in film. Sarah's in her 40s, Dee Dee's in her 50s, I'm in my 60s. We're, we're kind of the sweet pocket where things really started to change. And I've worked uh, on, I don't know, I don't know how many films I've done, 35, 40, and, and at least 15 of them have been... Uh, you know, female filmmakers. I think the most important thing this ha this film has to contribute is, and that the book had to contribute, is that um, 
we're living in a time where there's a lot wrong and there's a lot we have to change. There's a lot we have to tear down. There's a lot we know isn't working. And I think the conversation that these women have in this hayloft, it addresses all of those things, addresses the harm of the power structures we live in. It addresses the harm of power imbalance and violence and um, hierarchical structures of power. But it also offers a window into what it looks like when people who don't agree with each other on a lot of things come together and have to imagine a different world and another way forward. And I think that that sense of possibility and hope that comes from people being able to discuss such things um, is an essential part of the conversation. And that's the, that's the impact that the book had on me. And it's the impact that I hope that the film has on people. I feel like having seen it at festivals and hearing the conversations that people have and the conversations that people need to have after seeing it, I feel like it has to be a collective experience. I feel like seeing it in the cinema is really important. Seeing it with a group of people, not just watching it alone, is really important to what the film asks of you at the end of the end of the story, which is what happens next? Where are these women going next? Where are you going next? What are you going to do? Um, and I just, I haven't seen anything or been in anything like that where I felt that question asked of an audience. And I think that um, it's really exciting um, that there's a fable that's told and at the end of it, it's up to you what you kind of make of it, I think. And Sarah does that so deftly that she just doesn't, she allows the audience to draw their own conclusion. And that's the key right there, drawing your own conclusion. It kind of does the whole end around of what this show is all about. You make your own decision. I'm not going to tell you how to feel, what to like, or what not to like. That's not our game. And I just I just loved how she just wrapped that up. It kind of went, hey, kind of sounds like the show. Now, I hope you enjoyed our in-depth look at women talking. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, any way to improve the show, let me know. Cinemajudge at Hotmail.com or reach out on almost any other platform from um, TikTok to Instagram, whatever. I can't grow if I don't know. Let me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, what I should add to it. All I care about is that you get all the facts you can and you keep coming back. Because like I say in the end, any movie is somebody's favorite movie. Because we all want to spend our hard-earned money wisely. Because we all want the same thing. An enjoyable movie experience. Now, like I said earlier in the show, this is a TV show that I convert into a podcast. And it's on demand to watch whenever you want. Go to bit.ly backward slash cinema judge. Bit.ly backward slash cinema judge. And there, this and several other shows will be on demand. You can watch anytime you want. But now, if you're a normal listener, it's shout out time. For all you all around the world, I hope my voice finds you well. Whether you're listening to this on the drive to work, sitting at home, doing the dishes, whatever you're doing. You might even be listening to this two weeks from now, two years from now. So what I say to you guys is, wherever, whenever, or whatever you're doing, this is for you. This is where I thank everybody who listened to the last episode. So from everybody all around the world, from the United States, Australia, a lot of you from Australia, thank you, Australia. Same thing with Canada, United Kingdom, and Germany. Every one of you taking time out of your busy life to listen to this show blows my mind. 
It's incredible. From Minneapolis, Minnesota, Los Angeles, California, a lot of listeners from LA. Thank you for listening, maybe listening to twice or three times or sharing it with your friends, whatever it is. Thank you so much, Los Angeles. Same thing with Annandale, South Australia. Australia, that is so incredible. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing with your people. I hope you keep coming back. But I see that, Australia. I salute you. Same thing with South St. Paul. Stockton, California. Washington District of Columbia. Vancouver, British Columbia. Annandale, Virginia. Littleton, Colorado. Lisley, Illinois. Baldwin Park, California. Thank you so much. South Hadley, Mass. Farmington, Minnesota. Colesville, Lancashire. Burgess, Minnesota. Frankfurt AM Maine Hess. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Just to name of a few. Thank you for taking time out of your life to listen to this show. I hope you keep coming back. But now, it's the bourbon shout-out. This week, it's a couple people. First, Emel from Cub. I'd probably butcher your name, but you know who you are. Once a week, I come in there late at night, do my shopping, and you put up with my rambling about the show. So to you, Mel, cheers. And also to Megan. I'll give you a proper shout out down the line, but since I failed to do it properly last week, I just want to say you're a blast to chat chat with. I can't wait to talk more about to you about more movies down the line. So to you, Emil and Megan, cheers. But now it's the music section. Like I've talked to you before, when I'm making the TV version of this, which becomes this, the podcast, I'm cranking tunes, switching stuff up left and right, whatever mood I'm in or whatever might fit that particular episode. Now for this episode, I first started off with Sarah McLaughlin. And, you know, just because, you know, she's a powerful singer of of a woman singer and just dealt with a lot of women issues, I felt, you know, that's a good vein to start off on. So I threw down a lot of her stuff. I kept jumping around from different albums here and there, but I felt it was fitting. And if you haven't listened to her in a while, give her a shot. What a talent. And then I moved on to a guy that I haven't listened to, I don't think, in a long time, but a guy at work reminded me about him. And I go, why not Why not throw that on? Something totally original that I haven't listened to in like forever, or if ever, I couldn't remember. But it was the definitive Peter Sarstedt collection. And I don't know if I'm saying that name right, but S-A-R-S-T-E-D-T. He was a very unique singer, you know, back in the 70s. But I've either forgotten a lot about his stuff or whatever, but I put on his definitive collection and I just had a blast. And then I moved on to Steve Miller Band. Of course, his greatest hitch is just phenomenal. But then also the album Living in the 20th Century, loaded with hits. But then in honor of Jeff Beck, the late Jeff Beck, I had to throw on a little of his stuff. One of his albums was Blow by Blow. And that was just, you know, kind of a start. I kind of jumped all around on him too. But just out of honor about losing a great guitarist like Jeff Beck, I had to pay tribute. Well, that is it. My glass awaits. I'm thirsty. So cheers to you and to the movies. So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge. (laughs) 